The text for this morning is John 6, the verses 53 through 59. We'll read those verses once more. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the heavenly Father, sorry, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. After the sermon, we will respond with hymn 62, hymn 62. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, since all of these COVID-related restrictions have been in place on our lives, there are a lot of things that have had to be postponed, you know, things like uh, soccer games, summer activities, festivals, camping trips. And for us in our congregation in Providence, and I learned too, uh, it has also been done here, the celebration of the Lord's Supper has been postponed indefinitely. And since we can't celebrate this normally, it's good for us at the same time to be reminded of what that sacrament means. It's good for us to remember that even though as congregations we can't partake in the sign, we still have the thing that the sign points to, and that is comfort for our souls. You see, one of the main truths that is proclaimed in the Lord's Supper is the fact that we all have communion with each other as the body of Christ. And this is most obviously true when the congregation all celebrates the supper together in unity. This is also true of the members of Providence Church and of Emmanuel Church. Even though we don't normally sit together as congregations and celebrate the and and celebrate the supper of our Lord, we all even though we're in separate congregations, we are members of one body, the body of Christ. But it's you know, not possible for us to put this into practice at this time. We won't be able to express 
this unity through the communal meal for some, for some time. We don't know exactly how long. But it's also very important for us that we remember what the primary focus is in this supper. The secondary focus is the fact that it's a communal meal, that we do this together. But the primary focus is that we are reminded and assured that we are united to Christ. We are united to Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. The primary truth is that we are made partakers of him. And it's only after that, after that is true, that we are able to express and enjoy the fact that we are united also to each other, that we can have fellowship in this. We can't express this fellowship in certain ways right now, but let it be declared to each and every one of you today that if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are nourished and refreshed by his one sacrifice that was offered for you on the cross. He has become your food and drink for eternal life. This is what we read in our form for the celebration of Lord's Supper. This is on page 605. He, that is Christ, he taught us to understand that as often as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we are reminded and assured of his hearty love and faithfulness toward us. It is a sure pledge that he has given his body and shed his blood for us. Otherwise, we would have suffered eternal death. He nourishes and refreshes our hungry and thirsty souls with his crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life. As certainly as this bread is broken before our eyes and this cup is given to us and we eat and drink in remembrance of him. So this morning, we want to keep in mind the function of the Lord's Supper. The function of the Lord's Supper is not to, by taking it, unite us to Christ as if we are apart from him until we eat and drink. This would be you know, real, really problematic for us, especially now, if we're in a, in a certain situation where we don't know when we could have this supper again. No, it's to assure us and comfort us with the union with Christ that we already have. So this morning we see this union with Christ in his teaching that he is the bread of life. So we'll see two aspects of this. First, that this bread is spiritual. And secondly, that this bread is for anyone. So first, Jesus Christ is the bread of life, and this bread is spiritual. Our text gets right to the heart of the matter. This is the verses 53 to, to 59. But we should consider this section as sort of a concluding paragraph for everything, all of his teaching that came before. This is right on the heels of the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 people. Jesus says here, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up 
on the last day. So remember in our reading, right after this miracle, right after Jesus feeds this enormous crowd of people, the people were on the right track. They were on the right track when they acknowledged in verse 14, so chapter 6, verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is in reference to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, where God says to Moses, I will raise up for them, for, for my people, I will raise up for my people a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. So they're on the right track. They're thinking this is the prophet that God was speaking about when he told this to Moses. But they also want to know for sure and so they ask him for a sign. We see that in verse 30. Verse 30. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What's happening here is They've seen Jesus' miracle. They've seen the sign that he's just performed. And they're of the opinion that the act of Moses, even though it wasn't really Moses, it was God, as Jesus points out, the act of Moses giving manna to Israel for them to eat in the desert, they are of the opinion that that is a greater sign, is a greater miracle than what they've just seen Jesus do. Jesus' miracle was, you know, that was pretty good. But all he did was take bread that was already existing and just made it bigger. He just multiplied it. On the other hand, Moses gave them seemingly bread out of, out of thin air, out of nothing. But Jesus teaches here, after this, Jesus teaches that, no, that manna was not the bread from heaven that they need. Verse 32 and 33. 32 and 33. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The manna that their forefathers ate in the desert, that manna could not save their lives eternally. Manna sustained them in this life for just a little while. But Jesus says that in order for you to truly have life, in order for you to really live, you have to come to Jesus for this food. Verses 49 and 50. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. And that's, that's the truth that everybody on this earth has to come to grips with and, and wrestle with and, and realize at some point. Every single person on this earth is going to die. 
all of us will die unless our Lord Jesus Christ comes back before the hour of our death. But unless that happens, every single one of us will, will pass away. We will perish from this earth. None of us has the ability to avoid death. But Jesus offers and promises life, real life, for anyone who comes to him for eternal food. 55 and 56. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, what does that mean? Really? What in the world is Jesus talking about that we eat his flesh and drink his blood? How can we eat his flesh and drink his blood? Is this, is this what we do at the Lord's Supper? This would, of course, be in line with Roman Catholic teaching about the Eucharist, the Mass. Does the bread really change into Jesus' body and the wine really change into Jesus' blood? You know, the early Christians, the first generations of Christians, they were really opposed by the Roman people, the Roman populace. And there were a number of reasons for this. Number one, well, the Romans, they thought the Christians were kind of crazy, dangerous something. They thought the Christians in the first place were atheists. They thought Christians were atheists because they refused to worship the gods of the Roman state. They also thought that Christians practiced incest. And that was because husbands and wives called each other brother and sister. And this was misunderstood as brothers and sisters getting married to each other. So they thought they were atheists. They thought they were people who practiced incest. And they also thought that Christians were cannibals. Because part of their religious uh, practice was they would all get together and eat somebody's flesh and drink his blood. Is that what we do at the Lord's Supper? Eat Jesus' actual body and drink his actual blood. Well, maybe you remember this quote from the Belgic Confession. This is Article 35. Remember, this is from the Belgic Confession. And it says here, we do not go wrong when we say that what we eat is the true natural body and true blood of Jesus Christ. I'll read that again. We do not go wrong when we say that what we eat is the true natural body and true blood of Christ. But we shouldn't stop there if we're reading in the confession. Because it continues, however, so what we eat is the true body and blood. However, the manner in which we eat is not by mouth, but by the Spirit, but in the Spirit, by faith. Jesus claims to be the bread from heaven that gives life for the world. The people, so the people that had witnessed Jesus' sign, the people that had downgraded his miracle, who 
who thought that it wasn't as good as Moses' manna, they were missing the point. This miracle was meant to be a sign of the glory of Christ, a sign of greater work that he came to do. Right? And that's kind of the pattern that we see in, in Jesus' ministry. He, he performs these signs as, as proof and as promise of what is to come. He heals physical diseases, you know, temporal physical diseases, in order to proclaim that he actually gives eternal healing. He raises the dead in order to proclaim and promise that he will raise people to life everlasting. And he gives physical bread here in order to proclaim and promise that just as bread, physical bread, goes into the body, it's consumed by the body and gives it life, so also Christ has the power to be that food in a greater way for our eternal souls. Eating Christ's body and drinking his blood means coming to him and believing in him, partaking in Christ, being united to him. Eating with the mouth of faith. That's all it means. Believe, believe that Christ's sacrifice is for you. That's what he means by giving his body, by giving his real body. He offered up his real body, his real blood was shed as the only ground for your salvation. And it's only by believing, it's by faith, it's by coming to Christ that we receive the real benefits, the eternal benefits of his sacrifice, the benefits of true life. By faith, we are made partakers of Christ. This is what we remember with the Lord's Supper. Page 605 of our form again. From this institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we learn that he directs our faith and our trust to his perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross. It is the only ground for our salvation. So through that, thereby, he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. For by his death he has removed the cause of our eternal hunger and misery, which is sin, and obtained for us the life-giving spirit. The life-giving spirit. By this spirit who dwells in Christ as the head and in us as his members, we have true communion with him and share in all his riches, in life eternal, righteousness, and glory. Some people have the opinion that our, the forms that we have in our book of praise are old and wordy and stuffy and you know, maybe we don't need to use them all the time. But wow, that is, that is such rich teaching that echoes precisely what Christ teaches about what he came to do. How can we have life how can we be freed from death? 
How can we, how can we live knowing that every single person who is ever born is going to die? How is, how is life possible in the midst of that common human condition? Believe in Christ. Come to Christ. Receive him as your, as your spiritual food. Twice in this section of teaching, Jesus pointed out that the ones who ate the manna from, from heaven, the manna from heaven in the desert, they died anyway. But Jesus says in verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So not only is this a spiritual truth for the wellness and survival of, of our souls, but he even says, I will raise him up on the last day. How much better is Jesus' bread than, than Moses' bread? Not only does Jesus, the bread of life, give eternal spiritual life, but even our bodies, even our bodies will be raised up on the last day. Jesus sacrifices life for body and soul. So let's consider briefly, too, what it means that Jesus, the bread of life, is for anyone. There was a strong sense among the Jews of Jesus' day that, that salvation was reserved for the special people of God, especially as they were identified politically through, you know, as the nation of Israel, as God's, God's nation, and that the Messiah would come especially to restore blessing to that nation. But the salvation that Christ brings is much bigger than that. It's much bigger than, than we can see even with our own eyes today. I want to point out how often Jesus himself teaches this in our text and also in the in the reading for today that was uh, supportive for the text. So verse 33, Jesus teaches that the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life not only to Israel, not only to a small group of people, but gives life to the world. See, key in Jesus' mission in his work that he does is restoration not only of a small band of people, but restoration of the cosmos of creation, the whole world. Verse 35, he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, will never be hungry or thirsty. Anybody who believes in Christ. Verse 37, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Verse 40, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 45, everyone who has heard the Father and has learned from him comes to me. Verse 50, here is the bread from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Verse 56, 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And finally, verse 58, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. What's the point of, of, emphasizing, of emphasizing that? Whoever, anyone, everyone. Well, the point, the point is there is nobody There is nobody who fails to qualify for this food. Everyone qualifies. The only criteria that you must meet for becoming a Christian is, number one, you must be a human being. Number two, you must be a sinner. Nobody because of who their parents are, or because they speak a certain language, because they're from a certain village or tribe or whatever, nobody, because of their socioeconomic status, none of these people are disqualified from Christ because of those things. Christ says that this food is for every kind of person. He showed that constantly during his entire earthly ministry. He was constantly going to those who were considered to be disqualified, people who were considered to be outsiders, not part of the inner circle. In our form, we have a section where we are warned, where we're warned not to partake of the Lord's Supper if we are guilty of certain sins. We're told that we have no part in the kingdom of heaven. And the list is a paraphrase of the Ten Commandments. If you go through all of those admonitions in the form, there's one for every single commandment there. The question is, are are certain sins so serious or of a certain category that you're disqualified from Jesus Christ? Is it possible that one can be so addicted to a, to a pattern of life like alcoholism or drugs or pornography or whatever it is that it's impossible, it's impossible to be pulled out of that? That you're disqualified now because of habits that you formed or because of some sin that you have committed in the past? We all sin against God terribly. Go through that list. Every single one of us is guilty in some form or another of every single one of those transgressions. But we also confess, this is on page 604 of our form, we're comforted with these words, But all this, so all of these admonitions, all of this, beloved brothers and sisters, is not meant to discourage broken and contrite hearts, as if only those who are without sin may come to the table of the Lord. For we do not come to this supper to declare that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves. On the contrary, we seek our life outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we acknowledge that we are dead in ourselves. 
What qualifications do you need in order to be given eternal food and drink, in order to have your life saved? What do you need to do or perform in order to qualify to have your sins forgiven? Believe, believe the word of God. The word of God which is taught to you today. That Jesus Christ is the bread that has come down from heaven. That Jesus Christ is the bread of life that gives life to the world. That he has given his real body and his real blood for your salvation. Believe in Christ and you are united to him by faith. And you too, Christ will raise on the last day. Amen.